0: Hey, Kyle. Lindsay here. Um, Don't have the same amount of time when I did at my uh, former desk job because now I'm uh, from corporate to fully coastal. So with that, I don't listen to as many podcasts as I used to when at my desk job. Um, I would love if you wouldn't mind sharing which episodes you really think I should listen to to just kind of get brought up up to speed on, um, or just some education on... uh, awareness of the impact we're making on mama earth or mama ocean. And also potentially, if you wouldn't mind sharing the ones that might have tips at how to get to the motherfucker awards. Cause I really, really, really want to go to that. Uh, any who, uh, really appreciate you. Love your work. Love what you're bringing to the world. Keep going gonzo, man. Uh, thanks much. Also thanks again for coming to eco fest later.
1: Hey, Lindsay, thanks for sending that in. If you want to learn more about effective environmental action, I recommend that you listen to episode number 133 called Understanding Plastic Pollution with Stiv Wilson. He's the director of Story of Stuff. Episode 153 called How to Save a Wave with director of Save the Waves, Nick Strong's Fetich. Number 173 titled The Future of Eating Meat with Elliot Schwartz. And number 180, Gift Economy and Ecological Regeneration with author Charles Eisenstein. I will link to all those episodes in the description below. If you want to come to the Motherfucker Awards, I recommend going to Motherfuckerawards.com and signing up for the newsletter. Tickets go on sale on October 1st, and I would love to have as many listeners at the event as possible. The event will be on December 3rd at the Miracle Theater in in Inglewood, California. And I cannot guarantee you tickets. They will be going fast. But I can guarantee that if you go to MotherfuckerAwards.com, put your email down. On October 1st, you will be the first to be notified that tickets are on sale. So that's what I'd recommend. And I hope to see you at the show. Uh, we are booking some big big presenters and funny comedians. Uh, and I've been doing a lot of research on a lot of different issues that we'll be tackling uh, for the show. Tentatively, we're covering um, plastic pollution for the water category. We're covering the Amazon rainforest fires for the air category. We are covering um, fracking for land. We're covering firepower and munitions companies for fire. For the spirit category this year, we are tackling private prisons. And we are adding a lifetime achievement category. So it's been a lot of research and a ton of fun. This episode of the podcast is with some modern day cowboys, the Gauchos del Mar. Uh, these brothers, they're Argentinian brothers who have road tripped from the United States to the tip of Chile. They have gone on wild expeditions through um, Patagonia and with you know, backpacks and surfboards finding new waves. They are modern-day explorers. Um, they, I've, I actually don't know that I've ever met anyone that take exploration to their level. I met them recently on a trip to Africa, and they had retrofitted an ambulance and were driving this ambulance from... Uh, Morocco all the way down to, su- to South Africa and then up the east side of Africa um, and it's I believe a year and a half long two or two year long trip um, they have sold a documentary to Netflix about their adventures and uh, they're just passionate groovy sunburnt dudes that love adventure and uh, if you need a a just bit of inspiration to get off your ass and go see the world, this is the episode for you. There's so much out there and there's so many excuses to not take that trip, but I find that it's just, it enriches our lives so much when we travel and when we get to see a different culture. Um, I was reading um, David Sedaris, who is uh, one of my favorite writers, and he said that he moved to France um, a, a, a little bit ago, and uh, the one of the reasons for that was that it made mundane experiences like going to a coffee shop profound. He didn't speak French, so all of a sudden, Every little detail about a coffee shop was vivid, and it was in living color. And I think that that um, is one of the most brilliant aspects of travel, is it gets us out of our routine and into real life. So uh, reach out to the Gouches on Instagram and follow their adventures On this trip, um, I took a bunch of Santa Cruz Medicinals uh, products. Uh, Santa Cruz Medicinals sponsors each and every one of these podcasts. And we were surfing for six, eight hours a day. And I was using their pain cream as well as their uh, CBD coconut oil almost every day. Um, And I really enjoyed it. These products have become a staple in my travel kit And, uh, one thing that I also have been using the, the CBD, um, the CBD coconut oil for is massaging my scar. Um, I have a big scar on my wrist from snapping it a few months ago, and I find that it really helps soothe the scar tissue and it allows me to really get in there. So every night I put the coconut oil on my wrist and, uh, it works super great. So, if you want to get 10% off any Santa Cruz Medicinals products, you can go to scmedicinals.com, type in the code name Kyle10, all caps, and you can get 10% off. Um, and I hope that it brings some, uh, some calm into your life. I hope that it releases you from any inflammation. And uh, just hope you dig it because I love these guys. I have said it often, but the founder of Santa Cruz Medicinals is one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. His name is Brendan Rue. I've done a podcast with him, and he was the guy that got me to start this podcast. Uh, I didn't know him. He had watched some of my older documentaries, and he reached out to me on uh, Facebook and said, hey, man, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? Um, seems like you're doing you know some stuff that would work well. And I, I just never... Th- taken the plunge to do it i was listening to joe rogan i was listening to tim Ferriss. all these guys um but it took him reaching out and then setting me up with an audio engineer like helping me through a lot of these basic first steps to just get me to the point where i started recording um and here we are what 100 and 180 episodes later Um, so I have an eternal debt to Brendan and, uh, it makes me feel really good that Santa Cruz Medicinals is sponsoring this podcast. So head over to Santa Cruz Medicinals at com and get your CBD today. Final thought before I let you go. Um, so I got inspired by a writer. He's a technology writer named Seth Godin. Uh, you, you might've heard of him. He's super well known. Um, and he has a a daily blog where he writes a thought. Sometimes it's just two paragraphs, sometimes it's as long as a page. And uh it's in an email. And the the thoughts are very insightful and I open it up every day and I'm just I've just really been digging it and uh it's motivated me to do a weekly newsletter because Every day seems a bit much for me, but every week for the last uh, about month and a half now, I've been writing a short story or a thought of some kind that I think that all of you would find interesting and could potentially ruminate on for the rest of the day, and I send it out to you. Uh, I also include interesting documentaries I've been watching or podcasts I've been listening to. So if that's something that you would like once a week from me, you can go to my website, kyle.surf, and sign up for the newsletter. My website is also where you can find my blog, all my past documentaries, and uh, as well as all the gear that I travel with. Um, I travel a lot. I like traveling light. I don't like using shit that breaks. So I've found a lot of that stuff that, that really does work, and I've put it on my website and have just uh, included an Amazon link. And because I'm an Amazon affiliate, you can just uh, click that link, and I'll get a small percentage of that at no cost to you. Final, final thought. I just want to thank everyone who donates on Patreon. Um, all of my longtime patrons, I feel your support and just want to send you a big, cyber high five out there because it makes a huge difference even just the five dollars a month ten dollars a month really whatever it is that you can donate um allows me to get these interviews and prioritize these podcasts um and it makes me feel very kind of held within this community and motivated to go out and continue to get better better guests and better conversations and it just means the world to me when you guys donate and when you just reach out um you know on the website and give me a nice comment or feedback on the show
0: smiles
1: and thumbs
0: up
1: well it's interesting also that you when you think about what a country is it's just lines drawn on dirt uh and how much that affects, you know, the economics of an area. How much it affects people's mindsets. How much their cultural identity. When if you had aliens come in from outside and you're like, no, this is Argentina. This is Chile. Like they'd be like, wait, no, it's just land. Yeah, a <laughs> couple you're people, people are in you're, it
2: you're old people. Just like we we'll, we'll
1: get you all <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to start with uh, Patagonia, and your 53-day adventure through Patagonia, is that right?
3: Yeah, there's an area called Península Mitre. It's the southernmost tip of Tierra del Fuego. It's unexplored, it's still pristine. There are no roads, no communication, no one lives. And we wanted to show that place, to, to show the importance of it, the history had, all the resources that are there to protect them. and with the skills or, or the motivation we have for finding searching new waves. We went there for, we never knew it was gonna be like so long and it ended up being 53 days of hike.
1: So st- tell me a bit about the logistics going into a place that's that far out. How, what kind of safety precautions do you set up? What kind of drop zones for food do you set up? Just walk me through that uh, setting up an adventure like that.
2: Well, first of all, since it's an adventure and at the same time it's going to be a documentary, we need to figure out how we're going to charge all the camera batteries, how we're going to download the footage, being just in the middle of nature for so long. So we got some certain precautions with solar panels. We took a lot of like lithium batteries also. And uh, the panels, solar panels ended up working really good, so we didn't use as much of the batteries as we needed, or we thought we were going to use. And then it's like, then it's the part of the food, which is like, that's a big, big issue because we didn't know we we're going to be that long uh, away from, from civilization. So we had to get a helicopter and uh, just establish some drop zones and take the food in like closed cans of food, just everything sealed and hang them up from the trees just for the foxes not to eat them. And like, imagine you've been walking for 30 days and you get there and you, and your food is not there.
1: That's Wh- be a what kind of animals did you come across uh, in this area?
2: There's like there's foxes. There's like uh, there's lots of marine life, like sea lions and uh, elephant seals. Um, what else? It's like uh, llamas. Like it's called guanacos. The guanacos there are some kind of llamas from from Patagonia.
3: Yeah, the cows and horses, they used to be from the farmlands, and now they're just wild. And they're inbreeding, and you see these huge bulls. They're pretty intimidating. And you're walking on their track, and they stare at you, and you're on a hill, you know. And you don't
1: know what's going to happen. Just back away (laughs) slowly. Slowly, slowly.
2: Yeah, and and at the same time, you have, like, a big bull in front of you, and you're, like, loaded with 30 30 kilograms in your back with a backpack and the surfboard, which is orange, and... They usually don't
1: like the reddish colors, you know? Right. Yeah, you probably thought about that like midway through the yeah. trip. Yeah. like, shit, maybe we should not have painted these things this color. Yeah. Wow. Um, so you had a, a backpack with a surfboard on the back of it. Yeah. And was it just you two guys or did you have a couple other friends as well? We were four guys there. Four guys. It, it
3: was good to be in Perth just in case something went wrong with some of the guys. to a good split and go for help or go right. for food or for something. Did you have communication? We had satellite phone just in case that we uh, we were lucky we didn't use, but when things went wrong and Julian almost broke his knee and we were in the almost at the tip, which is the halfway through, and he like he couldn't walk, so wow. he got to leave his board. He can tell you better, no? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I was trying to cross a river. We went to jump, and uh, when we just jump, just those things you don't think about when you're when you're like. Fatigued. The, yeah, I'm fatigued. And we just went to w- have a walk on the beach. We had already just left our bags. So we went to walk on the beach, try to jump the river, which was pretty small. And there was like quicksand on the shore of it. And when I jumped, my foot just sunk into the uh, the quicksand. And I fell straight onto a rock. And like the tip of my knee, I don't know how to call it, hit like very hard to the rock and just to make a big hole there, and I was like, oh, he was it.
3: bleeding and pale, and we had to walk three kilometers to the campsite, and this is not good, you know? No good. It, no, no mm-hmm. good, not at all. And uh, He couldn't walk. Wow. No. And I was bleeding pretty
2: bad. Yeah, and then we had like, there was like 40 or 50 k's away, there was like an army base in the tip of the of Tierra del Fuego, and we had to walk there, but it's not just 40 k's it's just down, it's just like uphill. downhill, and uphill, and
1: downhill, and like I saw some of the footage of you guys. You're like you're hiking along these cliffs and ravines and in through valleys and across rivers and like are are there trail? Were there trails that you were going across, or are you guys breaking? There's nothing.
3: The trails are done by the wild animals, by the cows and horses. Yeah, you have to open some parts. You just miss the trail. You get into the forest, and it's so dense that we were walking like dogs, you know, four legs. With the hands and the boards. <laughs> and you're breaking the boards like pretty bad. And then yeah. you have to serve them or whatever. And it's heavy and you're tired and it's raining, it's cold, it might be snowing as well or hailing. So it was pretty intense.
1: Hardcore. And <laughs> did, you, did you have a basic sense of the spots that you wanted to hit? Obviously, you had food drops that you would try to get to and and would the the food drops be out on the coast so that you could then make it out into a spot that the the helicopter could land and you could then get to your next batch of food
2: yeah we planned them we saw a couple little bays and kind of nooks we saw there might be some good waves so we just kind of planned it where we thought we could get some waves but then we ended up getting the best wave on a place we hadn't even thought about so really what kind of a wave was it it's like a left point break over like a reef. It's pretty pretty good. And, way. and how
1: many kilometers from civilization? It's like two hundred. Two hundred. <laughs> km- km- Just at km- the tip. Two hundred kilometers
2: from where the road ends, which is not civilization. It's like further
1: apart. Right. So you can drive. Leave your car and then walk for 200 kilometers. So, does the road end and then you just start walking on a trail for a little while? Or is there a boat that you need to take to a separate spot? Like, what is that end point? Yeah, like Like
3: on the south coast, it's a kind of a peninsula, not like really a peninsula, but they call it Peninsula Mitre. So, on the south coast, you can drive on the route J and you finish up at a prefecture army base from Argentina. And then you start walking but it's just wild and on the northern coast you end up in maria luisa was it it's like a farm and a farm
2: and then just starts you have to cross the river. like all the river crossings are like pretty intense because you need to measure the tides also if you go on like the wrong tide you just get dragged out into the ocean goodbye and it's colder and like, many, many gauchos
3: like died already with their horses, horses they tried to cross the, the, the water uh, the
2: water's it's like 30 up. degrees on yeah. the rivers and it's in the ocean. But
1: you obviously don't Fight need to bring water or or with you because there's water everywhere. So you, you just yeah. have filters that then you... No, no filters. No filters. Well, it's because it's so clean it's it's pe- Clean peat peat water. water. It's what? Peat water. Like tundra water. Right, right. Okay. Yeah.
3: So it's peat. reddish black. And it's what we didn't know is that... Well, we knew, but we didn't thought it could be like bad for your health. Right. The the beavers are there because Argentinians like thought they were so smart and they brought... From Canada, beavers, but it's not that cold, so they started breeding a lot, and they have no predators, so now they're—it's—they are a plague. Wow, it's crazy. Interesting. Yeah. You know?
1: Did you guys hunt beaver?
3: Uh, we didn't, but the army guys did, and it's like black meat. It's not like really good, hmm. but if you have to eat it, you eat it for sure. Interesting. So we were drinking that water from the rivers, and we didn't knew about the that the one. beavers. The, yeah, they, they take a shower, of course, no, and yeah. they do it in the water sometimes, and. It has a bacteria or a, par- a parasite sorry uh, that called a uh, giardasis yeah you could get, get giardia. Giardia. giardia and one uh, after like the trip i started f- feeling really bad and i had problems in my intestine for eight months and i went to every doctor and they didn't know what it was and when we were presenting the film one guy said hey guys what are you drinking the water because you can get this parasite it's called giardia you get jardasis. giardasis and you have diarrhea for many months, and I say, thank you, you saved me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I had a pill and gone.
1: Oh, oh, so you can take a pill that yeah. gets the parasite out. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, but it wasn't until after the trip that until you, you came. That's good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what would you, what, what do you wish, what would the future self have told the past self as they were embarking <laughs> on that trip? What advice do you wish you would have given yourself?
2: Maybe use a water filter. <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> that would be
1: one. <laughs> And then it's just like... More need, food, maybe?
2: <laughs> yeah, more food, but that's very difficult. It's like the logistics. Went, the logistics came out pretty, pretty
1: good. Um,
3: well, we were eating once per day, only at yeah. night. During the day, we had like sweets, candy, something to keep walking and going and drinking water.
1: How many how many kilometers a day were you walking sometimes, on average?
2: Sometimes when it was like super harsh, we kind of walked like all day and did like only seven. And sometimes we walked like 45. Wow. So it just depended on the landscape, basically. And sometimes you just wake up, go for a surf, two hour surf in like three degree water, just come back, get the wetsuit, everything, pack your tent, and then walk like 15, 20 Ks. I saw you guys up were wearing on.
1: the R4 Patagonias. That's the, like mm-hmm. one of the yeah. thickest wetsuits that they make. So you're hiking then with wet wetsuits, <laughs> and a surfboard, yeah. and your food, and camping gear.
3: Yeah, and the filming equipment. And you're walking, uh, we've been working with a tripod in your hand, and the other one it was only for the surf sessions. But if you don't have the, the tripod in your hand, you won't film anything. You are so tired, you're exhausted. You had to put the camera, press the start button. The four of us walk, and someone had to go back and fetch yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so it was. It was a tough People one. don't
1: think about that in production. It's not just walking a straight line. It's a, you, you, yeah. you backtrack and you do shots multiple times to make sure that you get it. So, yeah, yeah. if you're uh, that exhausted, you're not going to film anything. Anything. And we're like, come on, lad, let's do it. Uh, it's your turn, lad, please go. Okay, I
3: go. And we were taking turns for, for that.
1: Wow. Um and would you guys have any kind of criteria when you would get, uh, you know, in a very difficult situation to say, okay, we're going to film three shots every single day, or there's something like, we don't talk about our girlfriends. Well, or, you know, we don't, you know, like think like there's certain, um, certain rules to keep morale high. Would you, did you guys establish any
3: rules? I think I mean, the rule yeah. that we always say is, like, we're not coming back to this place, maybe, so we just need to get every shot we can. Right. That's one of the rules.
2: And, and then, then, yeah, maybe we stop. It's like, oh, this place is nice. Like, make a shot. It's like, this backdrop is beautiful. We do the shot, take, like, 15 minutes just going backwards and everything. Then we do, like, 500 more meters. Have to do everything again because
1: the shot is better than the one before.
2: Right. And you, st- we still do it.
1: You have to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, so was that at the end of your trip from Los Angeles down to Argentina or was that a separate trip?
3: Separate trip. So the first trip we started in 2010 and finished, it was like July, 8th of July 2010 and finished the 13th of August 2011. That year I went back to to school, Julian was already an architect and I had to finish my degree before I was playing football professionally in Spain. Mm. And I quit, and then that's how Gaucho de Mar started because Julian was working in California. I went to work with him for our oldest brother, and uh, he said, "I'm not gonna go to Hawaii. I'm gonna say, um, save some bucks. I'm gonna buy a truck and go down back home." I'm I'm on, I'm on it. Hmm. So we just make it happen. On the first trip, wow. just a dream.
1: And that was the first big trip you had ever taken.
2: Yeah, that was the first big and long trip we've done. It was yeah, like thirteen months straight.
1: And then, did you get, when you got home? Did you want to keep traveling? What was the mindset after that? Because it's addictive. eh? It's very addictive. Yeah, tell me about that addiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: we were t- like, we were in Baja California, like only one month, uh, the trip was started, and we were thinking, what if we do this in Africa? Like, you know, you just ask, talk dreaming,
1: right? And. and yeah. Yeah. Once you see that it's possible, it becomes very addictive, I think partly for the reason that you have an idea and then it very quickly becomes a reality. Yeah. You know, like the the time between you having a dream and then being in that spot uh, becomes shorter and shorter the better you get at traveling. And then you mm-hmm. find one or two amazing, perfect waves with no one around and you have the realization that these kinds of waves are still out there and then that becomes addictive in itself. Right? It does, and then you get yeah. better and better at tracking swells and understanding areas that might have good waves and places that have rich cultures that you wanna visit and then it just becomes uh, a whole way to move through life.
2: Yeah, definitely. That's, that's really how it is, you described it perfectly.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then you's like, you
2: kind of like learn a lot every time you travel and go to these kind of different places. Just keep learning and learning and learning every day.
1: Yeah so like, you um, know what languages do you speak?
2: Uh, we speak Spanish, which is our native language speak English, uh, Portuguese and some French, which we ended up learning quite a lot in Africa.
1: Yeah And w- how did it uh, the, the trip down to Patagonia, how did that become a, a Netflix documentary?
3: Uh, it was a long path. Now I mean Netflix is a mainstream for films and documentaries. Yeah. And well we were trying to contact Netflix. I wanted to offer our films because we saw there was like an adventure sp- like a section they yeah. have on sports and so for we sure. just
1: 180 degrees south, Maru, all these documentaries are yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah.
3: And well we at the end we, we contacted the the people in Netflix, we had a meeting, then nothing happened and then we met this aggregator and he put the film in Netflix and we were like stoked. Like two films in Netflix, wow. Well, we're surprised.
1: Wow! And then, do, have you gotten a lot of messages from people that <laughs> saw that and started taking some of their own trips?
2: Yeah, it's been happening for us like since the first trip we we done, and we did a film and started sharing it with people. We've been get, getting like so many like very nice messages of people just getting motivated or feeling like just they could do it and they just kind of like do their own start their own trips. Not surf trips, but just their own life trips, maybe, or with a brother, or with a friend, or with a girlfriend. Just so buy a truck, buy a bus, just go on a bicycle, just go kite surf, go surf, go, just do
1: anything, just walk. Wow! Yeah. And, and so you said that you were, uh, you did this trip, and then you went to Hawaii, started washing dishes to save save up some more money. Is that yeah, right?
2: That was some some years before that. Oh, Those years before. Yeah. But the, the, the year we started this trip, uh, I was supposed to go to Hawaii. And it was kind of late season. I just decided, okay, let's just better not. And uh, just stick around here in California. and Work for a bit more. And then managed to buy a truck, a Ford F-150. We put it in San Diego in El Cajon. And uh, we bought it from a Mexican guy. And the funny thing about this truck was it had like Lamborghini doors on it. (laughs) And it's like a huge, massive truck lifted like four inches, like super big. And with like Lambo doors on it. it's like, okay, whatever. It's like, we didn't know much about mechanics, but we thought, okay, if this guy
1: has put so much love into it, yeah. it should be good. Okay. And then is, is that the truck that you took down on your trip through Central and South America?
2: Yes, that's the truck.
1: And then you got home, and then when did you start scheming for Africa? Uh, it was in our minds
3: since Baja, California. But after the first trip, we noticed we knew nothing about our country. And we had we have in Argentina stretch of coast. It's 3,500 kilometers of potential surf, and no one goes there because it's too cold, it's windy, it's all like private farmlands, and you have to ac- ask permits to, to get into the properties. So we said, Well, the second trip, we, we could do it in Patagonia, and we did Argentinian and Chilean Patagonia, and we got uh, in Ushuaia, which is the last city, the southernmost city of the world. We, we embarked in El Mago del Sur, which is a sailing boat, and we went to Isla de los Estados. Um, for 12 days, and we, we were lucky to surf a small beach wreck there with penguins, and it was like crazy. Wow.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, that was a boat trip around the southern tip of Argentina? Yeah. Okay, and you were on the boat for 12 days, and how did you contact the uh, the folks that sailed you around?
3: It's, it's like a small community of sailboats, you know, in, in Ushuaia, and this guy was an Argentinian, old guy, lots of experience, and we were kind of connected, like close connected to him, but never met before because of our you know, people in between, friends and things, and he's like a 70-year-old guy. He's been sailing all of his life in those areas which are pretty rough. Hardcore? Hardcore, by himself. Is he a fisherman? Not a fisherman, he's just just sailing and takes people like to Antarctica or whatever. But he started to get too grumpy maybe at some stage, so he wasn't like having lots of trips. And we went into, (laughs) into this trip with him, and it was like pretty amazing because, you know, he's full on his things. You are something, he would like, be shouting to you, and then we connected like really nicely. Yeah. But at the beginning, he was like sh- a, a, an old grumpy guy, just like, "Oh, this is not going to be nice." You these know?
1: stupid surfers are going to get themselves <laughs> killed. Yeah,
3: that's it. Oh, so show me what you do. All the time, he was like measuring us, you know, like some point. Okay, so yeah, I'll take you there.
1: <laughs> Sailors are hardcore. I mean, down in that area, that that makes you uh, tough mm-hmm. as bullets. Yeah. Being yeah. able to sail in those kinds of conditions. And by yourself, by yourself, yeah, <laughs> that's a lonely conversation. <laughs> How would you say that your um relationship has changed since all the traveling that you've done as brothers? Yeah, as brothers,
2: I think it's definitely pulled us to- together much more because before he he used to be living in Europe playing soccer and we kind of like we weren't we weren't seeing us uh, uh, that much, and then as we started traveling, we just really kind of bonded much more and we are like very good complements of different personalities but we all have but we have the same objective yeah how, so, so how
1: do you complement each other's personalities it's like
2: Joaquin is more like kind of like a I know like more organized and business and it's like but we, we need like both things you need both things to make the project work right because it's not like you're on vacation and just having a good time yeah we want to have a good time but just make the project work and uh, and keep doing this as much time as possible so I think he just have to, like I'm more like a part of like, the artist part or whatever, that kind of like, and he's got like the more of the business part. Right. So uh, he can
3: fix anything, like, you know, DIY, you just go into internet and just make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I would like rather not lose time in th- those like mi- details because we have, like, many things to do, because that's in my mind, you know, but he has another mindset maybe for those things, and it's pretty cool how we complement each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk about Africa. Uh, this is my this is my third trip to Africa, and every time I come, I feel like I need to stay way longer, because the culture is, like, I mean, there's many cultures within Africa, obviously, but it's just, like, nothing I've ever seen before or experienced. The vibrance, the personality, the... Passion and just the raw beauty of it all is something very special. So, let's walk me through when you guys arrived to Africa and when that, when that was.
3: We're, we've been already eighteen months in Africa in three stages. We start, started in February two thousand seventeen, from Spain we crossed in a ferry to Morocco, Tangier, Tangier, the port, and start, started driving on the Atlantic coastline. And sorry, where was that? Uh, when?
1: Yeah, wh- where? Where? In, in Morocco. In Morocco. We, we okay. From Spain, we crossed in a ferry to Morocco okay. and started driving there. Okay. And um, you and you—that's where you had the the big truck. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we bought the truck in northern Spain. Okay. It used to be an ambulance. This is a different truck,
1: not the that's Lamborghini. A, not not it's the Lamborghini, a, Lamborghini. Yeah, no,
2: this is a Unimog truck, a Mercedes-Benz Unimog truck from 1985. Used to be from the German army, uh, an ambulance.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at a big orange truck with a white back that looks like a retrofitted ambulance with a bunch of surfboards <laughs> on top, <laughs> big ass
3: wheels. And it was like an, uh, an ambulance. So,
1: so describe what this, this truck uh, looks like.
3: It's, when we bought it, it was full of iron inside, like old 1985 ambulance from the military guys. And they used it for local maneuvers in Germany because that truck never went into war. And then this guy bought it uh, from Spain in an auction, got like maybe 40 of those, and he didn't know what to do with the trucks and started selling them. But he couldn't sell this one and we kind of liked it. We've been researching the internet for a long time eh, to get to this. I mean, some are too big, some are too small. You need like the, for your expedition, for what you think you, you might need, like the specific and the perfect truck. And for us, this was the perfect truck. So we went, we, we flew in Spain, checked it out, it was working fine. It was kind of like stiff, it's a truck, it's sold. We've never been driving this, you know, it's like, yeah, should we buy it, should we don't, like, eh? full of doubts. Okay, we bought it, first day, we bought it, and it was overheating. It was dark, like maybe 12 at night. No, no, we bought it like at seven, and at night it was overheating. And we called the guy that sold that truck to us, and he said, I already sold it, like, don't call me. Like, fuck. <laughs> You know, <laughs> oh, the, no. like that. Yeah. So, oh, this is like the the worst buying ever. Right. We were thinking, okay. So we stopped that night. We slept on the side of the road in Spain, and the next morning, kept driving towards Burgos, which also north Northern Spain, but towards like Galicia, maybe, or more Madrid, but well. So this guy was gonna tell us how to drive the the Unimog truck because he's a specialist in Unimog trucks, and that guy like told us take the thermostat. Thermostat. Is- Thermostat. Yeah, Thermostat. thermostat. Yeah. Take it out of it and it will work fine because it's tapping the, the water. It's blocking, yeah. It's blocking something the water in the system. So that's why it's overheating. Okay, we took it and it was like a perfect machine. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. And then what kind of retrofitting did you do? Was that in Spain that you uh, built out the kitchen in it and the built out the storage areas?
2: Yeah, I went to like Marbella son. We got a friend there and he, le- he let us park the truck in his yard and we just ripped... Of all, all, of the inside, all the ambulance beds, we sold them for scrap iron, and then started building with wood, just like a small little house inside. We built a small kitchen with four, uh, four burners, a sink, and um, like four three water tanks. And then we put like four beds, which are like they fold into into benches also, so you can you can sit and at night you can sleep like four or five people if you want. And you're an architect, so you know how to do this. Yeah, so we kind of put some some of the studies into work. That's great. <laughs> yeah, really? yeah you finally use it. You're like, yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I thought I would be building buildings, but yeah. n- no. <laughs> retrofitting ambulances yeah. is way better. <laughs> way better. You can have a retrofitting am- ambulance company when this is all said and done. You're yeah, like, maybe the best <laughs> ambulances in the world. Yeah, go into some conflict zones. Be like, all right, war's over. I'm buying all these ambulances. <laughs> I'm going to sell them to hipsters in California who <laughs> want <Yeah. laughs> van life. Thank you. Yeah, the business. <laughs> you got it.
3: Yeah,
2: good work.
1: Eh? Um. Okay, so you so you, you retrofitted this ambulance. You then took the ferry from Spain to Morocco yeah. with the ambulance. How long was that ferry boat? Ferry About trip? an hour, forty minutes, yes. maybe oh, forty minutes. Yes, it's not long. Okay, and then the adventure Started, began.
3: Yeah, you, you get into Morocco and you see that this big difference in cultures. The signs are this on the road is they're like hmm. in Arab Arabic. Yep, uh, the dresses of the people, everything is just different and okay, we're, we're in Africa. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is, I mean, what we were saying before, it's an idea, it's a plan, and it's happening seven years later.
1: Yeah, and uh, was there, what would you say, and I wanna take, the, take everyone kind of through this whole trip, but um, what would you say were some of the biggest culture shock moments that you've had so far?
2: Mm, I think like the, the Arabic world, I think we already kind of, we had been in Morocco, so we kind of knew what we were expecting. But uh, Mauritania started to be uh, like a big change, it's different, different culture. What's Mauritania like? Mauritania is like desert, super dry. It's like very, it's quite poor. But and and everyone talks to you like, oh, be careful Mauritania, be careful with Mauritania. And we're like, okay, we just got in there like a bit, kind of, you know, scared or yeah. not scared, but just like precautious, and everything just turn around like people were like super friendly invited us to their houses living with the local people for many days and you know when you got some preconcepts, and then just suddenly just change you, you make your own experience
3: that's great but i think about Mauritania is that uh, you won't see a woman uh, their face their hair is like like so extreme
1: yeah, the, the, the culture only there. The, only their eyes. Yeah, because so, it's all Muslim culture. Yeah, ninety nine point
3: mm-hmm. nine percent they say, and the rest are expats. That's zero zero one percent. Wow. So we went. I was. I went to the bank this day, and I wanted to change money. So this lady is there. She's of course all covered up, and after changing the money, I okay, thank you. I put the hand. I wanted to give her the the hand to say just thank you, you know, and she puts her hand under her dress and gives me the hand covered by her dress. Like, wow, Whoa. this is extreme.
1: That's extreme. Yeah,
3: like, they cannot touch a man if it's not your man, you know? Whoa. Yeah, it's heavy. It's different. I know. It was, that's cultural. It's cultural. Yeah,
1: that, but that's it, right? I mean, it's it's so interesting how different cultures develop over thousands of years, and that uh, it, it just informs behavior, and that becomes normal behavior. And every, yeah. everyone, I mean, everyone else... Everyone else, everyone's culture is normal and everyone else's culture is weird, right? True, yeah. It's in the
3: context that you put it. Yeah,
2: sometimes we sat down to have dinner with them and like send the, the ladies and the kids just like just have dinner somewhere else. In or another room. In another room.
1: Whoa. Yeah. Um, what were the main, so if, as you set off on this trip, like, what were some of the, um, you know, X marks the spot, like ways of thinking that you would have? I obviously don't want you to, you know, name secret waves that you found or anything, but like, did you have, um, did you set out to find new waves, experience certain aspects of culture? Like what were some of those uh, check marks that you really wanted to get after on this Africa trip?
3: I think that one of the goals that we were talking of the expedition in Africa was to, to show through a film, through our experience in Africa, human relationships that could, they could be horizontal. No matter what color of skin you have, what do you do, what culture you're immersed in, how do you live. At the end, we're just humans, so we can share like a, a laugh, a time and not about like social issues like or uh, environmental or money or anything but just take it to the human side right okay we can be in this village and just be laughing with these guys and like, don't talk the same language nothing just like communicating with yeah. science and
1: it's one of the most beautiful experiences in the world to be passing by someone who who doesn't speak the same language as you, and you just smile and give them the thumbs up, and they give it right back to and it's you. it's Free,
3: you know, it's free. Yeah, like free smiles, free hugs. It's it's amazing. Africa yeah. is like that.
1: Yeah, well, that's a, that's the thing that's so great about Africa is um, not everything has become commodified already. Right. So this is um, an issue that I have with um, the United States right now and an overdevelopment because what ends up happening is you commodify every relationship, right? You hire a babysitter to take care of your kids. They're doing it for a certain amount of money. That's not inherently bad, but you go into a community like this in Africa and people aren't paying each other for babysitters. They just take care of each other's kids. The whole family is living together and there's much more of a... Uh, uh, it, not everything is commodified you know if no. someone's it's house like a, if someone's house burns down the neighborhood will come together and they will rebuild that house they're not just going to call an insurance company yeah, there's you know, a again, sense there's, of community there's a sense of community right yeah. and, and I, think, I think I that that is one of the main things that you can learn as you travel to some of these poor areas is that as they, share, they, they share everything free. for free
2: right? like for example you just come here you m- make some good friends you're having dinner you cook some more and you give like uh, your little friend some some of your dinner. Okay, and then some like, maybe five more other kids come, but you didn't have enough food from, but this little kid that you gave him food, he shares this equally with all his five friends that just came. So, and then if 10 more come, they'll do the same. Even if you give them just like a biscuit, they'll split it in four, if they're four.
1: Yeah, well there's a reliance on one another that influences behavior. Right. Whereas, if you go into an area where everyone has a ton of wealth, what is it that they tend to do? They build big walls around each other and isolate themselves more and more because they realize that they don't need other people on a material level, but they do need other people on a social and psychological level. Right. That's why depression rates in the United States are highest among affluent white men. Wow. Right. Why you wouldn't think that? Those are the quote-unquote winners of society, right? But it's it's people who. Uh, have isolated themselves more and commodified every relationship that then start to feel sad. I think that's one of the main things that you can learn by going on a trip like this, you know, and and, and interacting with people in a very real way.
2: Hmm. People here are happy. Yeah. They're happy, like, and they might not have any food for tomorrow. They don't know if they're going to eat. They don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. They don't know if they're going to have work. They know. They're just living the moment, you know, and that's, like, uh, I think the biggest... Uh, teaching that Africa can can give you just try to live the moment and be happy with where you're living at this time. Tomorrow you'll see it's another day.
1: Yeah, it's also a good way. You know, as you you're talking about uh, going on this trip and wanting to document these human to human relationships, the social and environmental issues come through without trying and I find that a lot of times that's more effective than trying to ram something down people's throats for sure but like you just told me this story about sitting down to dinner with this family in Mauritania and all the women moving into the separate room like you're just sharing a meal but that says way more about the state of things than if you were trying to jam that story down someone's throat right Mm -hmm. that was the power of Anthony Bourdain right he told people about the world and about all these pressing issues through the lens of food and you're doing it now through the lens of travel and surf which I think um, a lot of people really identify with because I think that a lot of people like the reason that I was excited to interview you guys is that like I can see a part of myself or the person that I want to be through the adventure that you guys are on right now right it's like Mm -hmm. the hero's journey everyone wants to everyone wants to see what they're truly made of. Everyone wants to um, set a goal and then move through challenges to achieve that goal and ultimately learn more about themselves. And if you don't take mm. these kinds of adventures, you never learn about yourself. Your
3: capacities are there, but they're uh, sleeping, you know? Yes. If you're still in your comfort zone, you won't awaken them. That's it, right? I mean, if you want to test yourself, I want to learn more about yourself and the world and share more and you know, get a more open thing going on, you Have need you- to
1: move. Have you read The Alchemist? Have any of you read the book no. The Alchemist? Yeah, I read it, Did it that?
2: like ten years ago.
1: It's uh, keep picking up some feedback. Al- so Alchemist, it's a uh, Paulo Coelho. It's a very famous book, a very short book. And it's all yeah. about the hero's journey and following your dreams. And it's about this shepherd who uh, who has a flock of sheep, and he's in this very comfortable space. He knows his sheep. He knows the areas that he needs to be a shepherd and you know everyone in his community tells him that where he lives is the best place on earth. So why would you want to go anywhere else, all the older people say, because this is the best place on earth. We have the most beautiful women, you have a, a great space where you can travel around with your flock of sheep, but he feels like his capacity is not being fully fulfilled, so then he goes on this hero's journey and he, he tries to um, visit the, the temples of Egypt, the pyramids in Egypt and it's about this discovering of your own capacity as you're on this trip and all of the shit that happens to you along the way, but then in retrospectively, that's the best experiences of your life, right?
3: Yeah. They change you. Yeah. You, you, you learn.
1: Yeah. Um, so let's take it back. So you guys went to Morocco, probably got sick waves in Morocco. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we got
2: it pretty good. <laughs> you got lucky. Like, got in like uh, the Northwell season and the the waves were, were very, very good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right-hand point breaks. Yeah, right-hand point breaks. Barrels. For everywhere. Uh, just endless. Yeah, so, so good. <laughs> wow. Um, and then from Morocco, where did you drive from there? So
2: Morocco, then uh, Western Sahara, which is like it's, it's part of Morocco, but they don't feel part of Morocco, so it's like that political fight for like, it's been going for decades already. Used to be from Spanish, then they gave it to Morocco, but the the people from the Sahara, they say that they are Saharians, so, and they just want independence. So it's kind of like a different country inside Morocco. It's kind of mm-hmm. it something like ongoing, like uh, the Basque country, basically in Spain.
1: And so, what was the culture like in Western Sahara?
2: It's like well, it's desert culture, and it's like we met some Bedouins also in the desert, which is, that was amazing. What are we, the Bedouins like? Oh, it's like super nice people. At least we met with this guy named Abedin. And he was uh, just, uh, he lived in the middle of the desert with his camels and uh, his Jaima, which is the tent. And uh, he took us there. He didn't speak a word of English, nor Spanish, nor French, nothing. He just spoke uh, Arabic. And we didn't speak Arabic, so we just like everything by signs. And we spent like two days with him. He was just showing us everything around his place just like he wanted to give us stuff just like he found a way just for us to take with us and it's like, like he, he had like his treasures you know he wanted to share with us and we shared like our mate and he shared us his like local Saharan tea and we're just like sharing, it's like big in, uh,
1: interchange of cultures.
3: In the middle of the desert, eh? Like, you not So you do don't the Bedouins live
1: in the desert full time?
3: Yeah, and they, yeah. they're nomadics. Right. So they move from here to there with their camels and their jaima. It's amazing. And this guy, we were having dinner, and he said, for de- dessert, we're going to have fresh camel milk, okay? So we went out at night, it was kind of cold. He started taking the milk from the camels, <laughs> boom, straight on. It was pretty thick. What did
1: the camel milk taste like?
3: Like cow, but thicker.
1: Wow. Whoa, that's crazy. Do you... Oh, man, I saw a Vice story a long time ago that uh, one of their journalists, Thomas Morton, did. And I forget the country. It might have been Gabon or, or one of the African countries where they take the women to fat camps and have them drink camel milk. Because in this country, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm kind of butchering the story because I forget which one it is. Well, it's one, one in Africa, being bigger is more attractive. Like it's a- Mauritania. It's It right? yeah. yeah. Might be Mauritania. Yeah. Yeah. And they would take the girls to fat yeah. camp and they would just feed them camel milk, like yeah. to the point where they couldn't have it anymore <laughs> for like weeks on end because <laughs> no. it's so fat, right? Like uh, camel milk, it's, it's, very, it's really, very rich. Yeah. Very rich, right? Yeah. yeah so they're just drinking camel milk to fatten them up so that they'll be more attractive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's all about
2: cultures. No, we liked, like like the Western society, like a uh, pretty woman is like a thin woman. And like a less. model, not a, like a pretty woman. Model. Like m- models kind of Established models. At least that was the society shows you, has been showing for the, all the, these years. And then you go to Mauritania and it's like, it's just totally the opposite. It's so they're strange. covered up and they're like super big and that's the most attractive woman.
1: Right. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's just normal where you're from, right? But Me it's too. so interesting how it's like the dial on culture can go too doof- Like, obviously... Los Angeles has put the dial a little too far this way, and Martinton has put the <laughs> dial a little too far that way. like you want to just be a healthy human being, but yeah. you, know, you have this like this cultural tide that just continues to push it along until you have girls in l a who look like they're on death's doorstep right yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Ooh, is this attractive? I don't know, mm. but it's been sure has been normalized it, it is It's about context and cultures again yeah. It's amazing also how we uh, yeah, how we view the human body and the traditions to augment the human body for beauty. I'm sure you've seen that a lot. Like, if, Have you guys been through Kenya yet or any of those, the mm. cultures where the women's necks are stretched no, out? No, we're going no. next. You're going there next.
2: Yeah, no, yeah, but we've been in Angola in some uh, villages and they also wear those bracelets and it's like kind of like copper or, or gold bracelets and it's not gold but it's like to stretch them out yeah and on on their legs and on their arms and it's just like presents their husbands give them and just, just to make them more more pretty it's part of their
3: yeah and they're naked the The top part they're naked and it's like they're this, walking in the streets this is in where? in Angola
1: in Angola yeah. Yeah. what's Angola like? beautiful country beautiful yeah
3: it's yeah. pretty diverse uh, mountain desert some parts are more humid to uh, inland but we didn't go Great waves, great people. Yeah. You guys have been surfing in every country? We yes. Almost in every country. We didn't surf At in... Benin and in. Nigeria, no Cameroon.
1: And the Guinea.
3: And Guinea. And Guinea-Bissau.
1: Yeah. You guys didn't surf in any of those no, places? Was no waves. Yeah. Was <laughs> flat.
2: Guinea is like, just, uh, f- like full of mangroves. Right. And so it blocks b- all the swell. Yeah. And the marine platform just goes like a, it's like the bed is like super shallow.
3: And the swells barely get there. They barely
2: get there.
1: Interesting.
3: You get the southwest, but maybe one, two per season.
1: Yeah. How did did you guys... uh, When did you start learning how to track swells? in mm. the first trip you started getting more into it, no?
2: Yeah, I think the first trip was like, oh, no, we can, like, can
1: greatly increase our chances of getting waves if we do a little forecasting here. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Definitely. And so then you, sure. you fall Alice falls down the rabbit hole, right? <laughs> and then it just <laughs> gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um you went the, let's keep track in the journey. So it was through Mauritania, Mauritania. Mauritania.
2: Then Senegal, which is that's the entrance to black Africa. Mm. That's like also like a big, just like difference from the Arab Arabic world to to Black Africa. Okay. And Senegal was like just a perfect place to to get into Africa because it's like it's beautiful. The people are very very nice. They have this like uh, word they call it Teranga, which means like make the uh, the other feel at home. So that it's all about making people have a good time. Which country? Senegal. In Senegal. Yeah. So okay. we had like. The best time there the people are very very nice we got like the change in between seasons the north swells and the south swells and that's just on the tip of africa so just getting both swells like you got like three weeks of consistent waves lots of friends uh, drinking uh, their their native tea every day is super fun
1: epic
3: yeah and Go that on. was like the preparation for what's coming you know <laughs> like the real africa was gonna start after senegal because senegal still is like really nice country the roads are pretty good. Everything kind of works still. Then we, you get into Guinea-Bissau, which is one of the poorest countries in Africa. You go to the city, like, to the capital, sorry, and the roads still are dirt roads in the capital. You know, like, would be like in the 40s, 30s. Hmm. A small town anywhere. And after that, we we had to, when well, there are no, no waves in Guinea-Bissau. Um, no source coming for Guinea-Conakry, which is the neighbor country, which is pretty big. So there are two roads to go to Guinea Conakry. Yeah, go on this one, near, the, closer to the sea, you'll be fine. Okay, we start driving, tar road, dirt road. Suddenly, we get to the border. Border is like a small shack. Nothing, eh? It's, it's like, like a hut.
2: So a hut. small African hut. Yeah,
3: so this is the border. Yeah, okay, okay, whatever. Yeah, you keep going. We start driving, and there's no more trucks. Like, gone. And you see, like, this kind of small truck for motorbikes or walking people people to walk, yeah, there used to be a, a road here, you just drive, well whatever, so we check we have st- uh, internet signal still, yeah, forty kilometers, yeah, it's fine, it's gonna be fine, okay, we start driving so the 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 road finishes the road which is pretty bad, finishes you are in this hut, the border, and they say, yeah, the old road is there, just drive, I said like. Grass, like trees, everything. Like for years, there's no one, no one been crossing there with a car or a truck or anything. So okay, we start driving and started like we machete and a saw opening the road. No, and we took like three days to do forty kilometers. No, yeah, it was heavy.
1: That is hardcore. Yeah, and before you made it into the next city,
3: In- into no into the next border, not the even the border. city, to the next border, and we had to cross this huge river also when. They told us, yeah, go and check this road that will go is closer, but the, the river was like super high because it was rainy season, so we had to drive more. That's why we did 40 kilometers, so we w- went up north over the river and there was like a crossing. It was pretty deep, but for the truck was okay, it was like a meter, a meter twenty at some parts, but the truck made it. And
1: What's it like crossing borders? Is it, has it been easy for you so far, crossing from one country into the next?
2: Uh, no, that's like the most difficult part of traveling in Africa. Just the bureaucracy there is in just to get the visas, because you need visas for every country, country basically. So you need to go before to some embassy in the country you, you are. For example, you're in Senegal and you're going to go to Guinea and then you're going to go to Sierra Leone and then Liberia and then it's like Ivory Coast. And then you, you need to st- try to get the most amount of visas in any, in every country because you don't have all the embassies you right. need in every country. So then you're like, imagine you get to Liberia, but then you don't have the next visa, and there's no embassy of that country there. What do you do? Oops. Oops, you're done. So you need like a lot of logistics and just plan ahead a lot. And getting the visas, is like a lot of time consuming, money consuming, and a lot of planning, because sometimes you need like lots of paperwork. It takes time. It's it's a bit of a, like a big hassle. Did you say you got stuck
1: in Nigeria for a few weeks because of that?
2: Yeah, it's more than, it's like a month and a half. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what? <laughs> Tell me about this. Stranded there. Stranded yeah. in Nigeria for yeah. a month Na- and a half. Nigeria
3: has been the most difficult, difficult visa to get for us. We've been rejected in five embassies because they say, for example, we went into Guinea Bissau to the embassy. Hey, so show me they ask for requirements. One of them is the, um the residence, like your residence papers. No, we're not resident in, in Guinea Visa, we're just travelers. Ah, okay, so you cannot get it here, go by. No, but go by. get away, like no, we won't get it here. They treat you like that, it's not nice. So okay, after five, well, no, in Liberia we, we went to the embassy also and they said, yeah, you can get the visa. So we even paid and everything and they kept their money our money and they didn't let us in into the embassy again. Like we were in the door and the guardian was saying, "No, they're not allowed to get in."
1: <laughs> no, we already paid you.
3: Yeah, and they took our money. You know, like, sorry. It's, yeah. it's really good. That's it. eh? Like no, I asked because you pay online. And
1: how did you finally get uh, out of Nigeria? First, we got into
3: Nigeria through Benin. We like they asked many requirements. We fulfilled the requirements and gave us a transit visa. So mm. okay, we have seven days to cross this country three days like from six to eight at night driving we made it to the border borders closed oops imagine sometimes I'd like you want something so much that you have to be careful no right what are you this what are your desires then they come to you <laughs> so we're in nigeria the border is closed two days ago we missed it for two days so okay you have to go to calabar where there's a, uh, like, uh, how to say, custom, no customs, like migratory office. Yeah, the immigration, the immigration office. Immigration office.
2: And just to try to extend our visas, because the, they told us, like, no, the border is closed, okay, we're going to open it on Monday. It's like, go on Monday, like like, no, no, next Monday. And it's like, our visa was for one week, so we had to go extend our visa to the immigration office. Explain the whole situation, okay, they extended it. One week. And it's been like that for, like, six weeks and what are you six doing week in the by in, week?
1: What are you doing in the midst of all? Just this?
2: try to get a try to find a way to get out of Nigeria and get into Cameroon or into Gabon some way and um, the two basically the two options we had was one just go to around like Chad like just go around Cameroon through Chad and like Central African Republic but that was not an option because you had to go through Boko Haram area. Which is like super dangerous, sketchy, 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 and uh, so that was not an option. And our other our option was to put the truck on a boat and go through the Gulf of Guinea and just avoid the part where there were uh, there's problems in Cameroon. Finally, after like we getting like down from three boats we were gonna supposed to board that same day, just tell us, okay, like, hey, you're not boarding now, you're not boarding now. It's like so imagine your patient you start losing the patient. Ooh.
3: And your mind, no, like mentally you get stronger or you can get like super weak and just like flip it. Yeah. So we were doing nothing at the church, going every day to the port to negotiate with these guys that are like basically pirates. They just sit in their office, count money, like big, big stacks of money, stack of money and they, they tell you, hey, come meet me tomorrow at 11. You get there at 11, they won't talk to you till two. You're sweating, it's hot. They're drinking whiskey, counting money, and you ask a question, they don't reply. I'm like, okay, so what's going on? You never know. Yeah, you're going to get into this boat and do this in the next ship. So suddenly the space that was like reserved for the truck, you're there with the guy and he says, no, nah, today no, fill it up with plastic. And they just transport plastic from one place to the other. It's like crazy. It's crazy. They just things. transport plastic. Plastic, like yeah. plastic.
2: Yeah, and spare parts. It's like nice. just If you see it, it looks like a bunch of trash.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> trash issue in Africa is next level. Yeah, and it's yeah, amazing it is. just how quickly that shifted from uh people using biodegradable substances you know different leaves to use containers to plastic and then when there's nowhere for that to go um it fills up with the trash real quickly i mean uh, the us for a long time has exported a lot of our plastic to china and just in the past two years, China closed their borders to the U.S., to taking the U.S.'s uh, plastic. Right. So now we're trying to get it to Indonesia. We're trying to get it to all these other countries who basically don't want our plastic anymore. And it's a real crazy, you know, when you throw your stuff in the blue bin, like, yeah, it's better. But a lot of times that blue bin just goes over on a cargo ship to another part of the world where they have different regulations for what they're going to do with your plastic. And then it sits there. And when you actually come to some of these, these parts of uh, the world, it's uh, it's for real. It's there, yeah. and it will last for many years. Yeah. So, all right, let's keep it coming. You've you've made it in through Nigeria, South. Now to where were we? So we mm-hmm. were
3: embarking in this truck, in the, the truck, putting the truck on the boat.
1: Okay, and
3: you finally made it on the boat.
2: We finally made it on the boat. We put the truck on top of it. And the boat was just like beat up. It just there was that was the only option. Just go through the Gulf of Guinea, where there's like lots of kidnappings, or so, um, there's like many pirates, and like there's kidnappings all the time. So we we're just like, okay, this just toss the coin, and we we're out of here and see what happens. Yeah. And, uh, what,
1: what are those conversations like between you two? Is there one of you that's more willing to toss the coin than the other? I mean, because there are obviously, you're obviously weighing danger at all times. To, all time. So that you're trying to, be trying to be smart, but you also want to have the adventure and you want to get into places that others, yeah. are, others are, other times, don't go. We there was no, no
2: eruption, basically. Mm-hmm. And we we, we were, were four and we told the other two guys, guys, if you want to get on a plane and leave, just feel free to do it. Yeah, We just need to take our truck out of this zone because it's like there's no other way we're right. gonna just go back home and come back in six months no one's
1: gonna guarantee that border is gonna be open right
3: and that truck is gonna be there at and the, the th- church where we've been sleeping for 43 days
1: wow so now you're uh heading back to durban and then durban up through the east coast of africa towards which kenya is, which is going to be beautiful and yeah. good waves up there more tropical it seems like that's going to be a, an exciting part of the trip yeah, yeah, more mellow for more sure. Yeah. <laughs> Less travel. And then you're going to end in Kenya? That's the plan. Okay. Yeah. What are the um, adventures that you really want to see moving forward? Maybe ship the, the truck, truck to, to India. Ship the truck to India? Yeah,
3: um, and do the same in India. Or we're trying to push a project in Antarctica also. So, yeah, m- maybe sail the world. We're well, just like, you know, dreaming again. Yeah. While talking with you, but yeah. Hopefully we can materialize them and make it, make them happen.
1: Hey, well, you guys are certainly uh, dreamers, and you're putting your dreams into reality very quickly. And uh, it's inspiring to get to talk to people that are actually pulling it off because um, it's it just takes doing it, you know, and shocking off that time. And it seems like you guys are traveling on a budget. You have you've had you know Patagonia, a few other companies give you guys clothes, and like it's it's interesting too, like. I have a desire to give you stuff now because you're on (laughs) this great adventure. And it's like, it really is a part of human nature to want to give people, help people along their own hero's journey, whatever that is.
2: Yeah, that's what happens a lot. Like when you're traveling like this, you just, people open the doors of their houses, just not even knowing you. And you end up like being part of their families. And then when you leave, you're just kind of like, feel like crying basically. Yeah. Because you're like really born like for, short periods of time but very deeply with people and that's why these kind of trials put you in if you're on just like a two week holidays you don't bond, bond with anyone like uh, just like hey me that like hey hey,
1: hey. Well, that's no, not, like, yeah yeah you, you don't bond with your extended family the way you bond with people you no. know while in, traveling, in, on, while traveling. Yeah. No. because because no. it goes back to the necessity thing right you just sit down with your extended cousin over you know in America over some turkey and you're like so uh, what have you been watching on Netflix <laughs> like <laughs> we've been watching the Gaucho's <laughs> on adventures <laughs> and next I'm going to be going to Africa and then India. Yeah. Sweet. Well, hey, thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. Where can people get in touch with you?
3: Social media, Gaucho yeah.
1: del Mar or Gaucho del dot com. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And do you have any uh, words of wisdom for uh, for future travelers as they're on their way? I think just
2: just start. Just don't think that much. Just don't pla- don't don't overplan. Just when to do it. Just start and then arrange things on the way. That's the most difficult thing is to to leave your comfort zone.
1: Yeah, love it. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. That's our show. I'm going to play out the song called Everywhere by Mount St. Ilias and I will link to their band page in the show notes below. If you dig this episode please take just one minute and give it a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. It really does help boost the ratings and make the show available to more people. If you dig it a super amount and you want to donate a few bucks on Patreon I would appreciate it but if you don't have that capability just keep listening to the show, keep enjoying it and sharing it with friends. And finally, head over to my website, kyle.surf, to get my weekly newsletter. That's it for all. Get outside. Get in the water. I did a nice little ocean swim this morning that made me feel, woo, chilly. but made me feel good. Propelled me forward through the rest of the day. So get out in the water, whatever body of water you're closest to. And with that, I hope you enjoy this song called Everywhere by Mount St. Ilias.
0: I tried to fall in love I tried to find a girl to fuck fuck me up Cause even a heart sick love broke Poet guy's a whole lot better than Damn I used to know that guy (laughs) I tried to join The the cause But everyone there could tell there was nothing behind my yell i was there to brush shoulders with purpose where have you been purpose since you left last year purpose i spent a lot of time here with worthless it's always good to see you purpose Now, give me the water, I'll make it the wine. And the best I can do is pray that helps. I tried the road, but it's left me unhold. There's little bits of me from Leon to Louisville. I had a girl, she even lived by the coast. But I wanted the world, so I left with the girl I'm here and there and everywhere. Go, 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 go.